Hello and welcome to the Ask the Industry Podcast, episode 127. I'm comedian Simon Kane, and for those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, and today, podcasting. The Earwolf Network is the biggest podcast network in America, which I think, by proxy, makes it the biggest one in the world. Colin Anderson is Stitcher's VP of Comedy and executive producer at Earwolf. Before Earwolf, he worked as a comedy producer at the BBC. He has a very, very exciting past and future ahead of him, and I got him on to talk about all of it. This podcast covers what Earwolf does to help podcasters make money from their free work, the different methods for finding audiences for online content, and the future of podcasting. I, as an avid podcaster, love talking to him and nerding out about the industry. I think if you're a fan of podcasting, online content, or thinking of trying to build your own audience online, you're going to love this episode. If you are interested in building your own online audience, you might like my book, How to Make a Living by Working for Free. It's on sale on my website for £5 digitally. It's a how-to guide for artists about how to grow your community online through free content and then ask them to support you to continue making things for them. I interviewed comedians, writers, musicians and so much more about how they've done it, the lessons, the trends, the pitfalls, everything to do with how they created their audience is in this book. There's a link in the show notes if you want to find it. You can also find it on Amazon, but I'd way prefer if you bought it direct from me because Amazon take forever to pay authors who are independent. Before I hit play, if you're new here, please don't forget to hit that subscribe button. If you're old here, please do remember to give us an honest, ideally positive review in iTunes. And either way, please do consider joining the Facebook group. It's called RC Industry Podcast and it's on Facebook, obviously. But for now, this is Colin anderson so earwolf i'd say is the biggest comedy podcast network in the world um i think that comes from it being the american one it started uh, about 10 years ago so it started early uh, around this show comedy bang bang which is scott orkerman's uh, kind of improv comedy show and then he built a network um with his partner jeff ulrich uh, around that bringing in their friends and encouraging them to have podcasts as well. So it, it gained a kind of critical mass through through a bunch of LA comedians who uh, were excited about podcasting as a, a way of making stuff. Um, as they did that, they then started to work really hard on podcast ad sales and they were the, probably the first people to, to really successfully do that. They built up this company, uh, did like a little spin-off company called Midroll, which sells ads now across across the industry so they sell like mark marin's podcast ads um anyone can go to them and say sell our ads please and they will even if we're nothing to do with the production of the podcast itself um and then as as they've grown they bought the stitcher app so now our whole company is called stitcher and earwolf is a stitcher network so now we've got an app and we've got ad sales um, and we just bought uh Omni Triton, which is like a podcast hosting service. Mm. So uh, we've now got kind of all of the elements yeah. of podcasting all in one place, uh, which cuts cuts our costs down and gives us more control over what we're doing and things. Um, I guess the other element that, that was introduced uh, maybe five years ago was first it was called Howl and now it's called Stitcher Premium and that's the kind of Netflix paywall mm. version. So for a lot of our Earwolf shows, will be like a e- uh, weekly hour-long podcast and then if you want more there'll be a bonus episode once a week or twice a week or whatever that people can pay the um, subscription fee of like four dollars a month and um, so that's a way of like fans getting deeper access and it means that they get like archives of shows there's uh, originals made for Stitcher um, and through that 
other bits of the company that kind of aren't me have, have <laughs> been like partnering with like Marvel and they made mm. a Wolverine series which mm. like podcasting is kind of getting getting into the big leagues when you're partnering with Marvel and mm. uh, hiring A-list actors to, to do like audio drama which is kind of a new a new thing in America yeah, I, I found, because I know Earwolf as a network, as a consumer, and I was researching it before I sort of got in touch with you, and, and I saw that, you, for example, you've got the designers on board, and, and so you guys pretty much seem more full service than some of the, the networks, that I, the other networks that I've worked with or worked on, um, because it feels like a lot of other networks, they kind of just, you create it, we'll do the ads, mm-hmm. whereas you're like come on board we'll make you a new uh, artwork if you need it and we'll do a specific yeah uh, you know like it almost it almost looks like also if there's like live shows you also do the bookings for those by the look of it even mm-hmm. on that level i mean what what do you do and what don't you do just to sort yeah. of clear up some misconceptions we, tr- we try and offer everything i think the original model that that scott Ockerman had in mind was that comedians would come in be funnier for an hour leave and then the network just takes care of everything else because uh, <clears throat> a lot of comedians uh, don't want to have to get into like how do I record a podcast, how do I edit a podcast, how do I market a podcast, and as we've grown, we've we've kind of fleshed out from it used to be that there was just an engineer team, and so they'd record and then they'd do some uh, like simple edits and upload it, and and that was kind of what we offered, and now we've got uh, marketing teams and. Um, like you say, we've got a bunch of graphic designers, we've got web web design people, we've got social media people. Like the idea is that we can just handle everything and then some shows or some comedians like want more involvement. There's some that will give notes on their podcast and which edits they'd like. There's others that are just like, Great, get it out there. Mm-hmm. Um someone like Paul Shear from How Did This Get Made is, is pretty hands on and listens to all his edits and comes back with notes and has ideas for how we can do something differently and uh, you know, is quite involved in the network and pitches us new shows. So, how did mm-hmm. this get played? Our video games mm-hmm. spin-off was something that Paul was just like, "Hey, this seems like a fun idea, and I like these people. Why don't you do that?" Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of the thing of of having having everyone or most of our hosts coming into the studios every week to record. Kind of builds that that community feel that that they're knocking into each other and mm-hmm. saying hi to us. And if there's anything that they're unhappy with, we're finding out about. If there's people that they really like and think should have podcasts, we're finding out. So. Uh, that's that's a big advantage of we've we've now got these beautiful new studios as of about a year ago um and encouraging hosts to come in and use those and chat to us and tell us how podcasting is going for them yeah uh, is, is a good thing yeah sort of um because it's uh you obviously wouldn't get involved in the actual it, it, like they're recording themselves if that makes sense so that's the one element that they can own and as a result of being direct with fans it kind of helps you sort of adjust how you're bespoking offerings for those podcasts because obviously there are some stuff that's generic like ads which you just you know would do the same for everyone or, or even sponsorships but for an individual show I assume everyone's got their own individual community and so mm-hmm. even like cross promotions or, or guesting on each other's spots you want to make sure that everyone's got that capacity yeah yeah and the cross promotion and guesting is uh, a huge advantage of being on on a network like if we're launching a show and we can uh, run a promo for it across um, what is it like three and a half million listens in a week if we run it on on each of our shows then uh, that's a really good way to launch a show yeah. Yeah. Um, and and also having having hosts actually know who the the new hosts are and be able to say oh uh, Spanish Aki I've seen them at the Upright Systems Brigade Theatre uh, I really love them we've had uh, 
Rice on as a guest once before and like make, make it feel more kind of organic and, and like come and be part of our club rather than just a kind of the BBC has launched another podcast. Yeah, yeah, because you, you started out on the, uh, what's it called, the BBC Programme Making Trainee Scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously uh, you worked for the BBC for a number of years. Yeah. Um, like sort of just over a decade. And I wondered what it would, what it's like different from working internally with uh, specifically radio production at the BBC where kind of you just have a budget and, and sort of the, the, the money doesn't really go up or down because it's just sort of mm-hmm. a budget thing versus an ad thing which can go up and down and fluctuate depending on, obviously, you know, shows have a certain amount of minimum listeners so you know roughly what you're getting per mm-hmm. episode. But obviously there could be one that goes, like Mark Marin having Obama on, you know, I'm yeah. sure that one went way more viral than most of the others. So how what's, what's the difference between that with you? Like how do you deal with promoting individual episodes? What kind of, do you have like a schedule for everyone going out to make sure they're not crossing over? Like how do you work mm-hmm. with that? Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the marketing team, we work with the marketing team to, to have a schedule of what we're launching when and then what big episodes are coming up. If someone's got a huge guest, then we want to make sure that we've not got something else launching that week so that we can direct everyone towards that that episode. Um, and yeah, some of the differences with the BBC, I think probably the, the successes and failures are amplified because <laughs> with a radio show, um, like you say, there's there's inherently going to be like 500,000 people listening at 11 o'clock at night uh, on Radio 4 and even if they don't like what you're doing they were listening to the thing before and they'll listen to the thing after and the radio can keep going whereas with podcasting it's that much more deliberate the the listening people are there on purpose and um, if you have uh, like like a show can totally fail like you can just never find an audience and then you can see that the audience isn't there and then you can't sell ads against it and then you know, a year or two down the line, you have a conversation with the hosts. Well, I guess you try and fix it first. Mm, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, d- yeah, you yeah. do what you can. And there's shows that we've we've done that too that were kind of on small numbers, and we've done a couple of little changes. Um, like this show, Yo, is this racist? Which has had a thousand episodes and was um, like a, a very small show for us. It'd be under ten thousand downloads an episode. Like that's that's difficult to do ad sales on mm-hmm. and things for us. Um, we brought in Tony Newsom as a co-host, uh, Andrew uh, T, who'd uh, been hosting it on his own before. This show about racism that it had become just like a sad monologue of <laughs> like a lonely man in a room talking about racism. Right. And you can see how that'd get you down. Yeah, yeah. So Tony comes in and brings all this extra energy. Uh, Andrew responds to that energy, and the the show's uh, five times the size or something now. So that's so you ca- yeah you can correct it, but then on the the other side of the successes. Um, when like I always felt the BBC's a little bit scared of making money or succeeding or like that was something that really felt like it stood in the way of the BBC and podcasting when they could have just come in and just been like with it with a fucking BBC mm. <laughs> come on yeah. like iPlayer like iPlayer existed yeah before, before Netflix yeah and yeah Netflix came along and went okay yeah we'll do that too yeah we'll, we'll fail and and you know what <coughs> screw it if we fail yeah kind of thing. so yeah. so then like a show like uh, Conan O'Brien needs a friend that we launched yeah. uh, about a year ago um, whatever like a thousand times bigger than than our projections for it it's bigger than his TV show now in terms of audience um, and there's there's a huge success to be had there and now i can uh, develop any number of small exciting weird unknown shows mm. under the umbrella of uh successes like that yeah i imagine now that you own stitcher as well you can actually track how much people have listened of a, of a show rather than yeah because um, on youtube for example uh, you know you've got that um what's the word audience retention 
graph and mm. stuff and, that, and that's always depressing but interesting to right. look at and stuff whereas um, you know I think with podcasting one of the frustrations for me and a lot of other people is download numbers are vanity figure ultimately mm-hmm. because it just is going to go up and people might not listen to it we've all downloaded an episode and not listened to it yeah. you know? so the fact you can see that they're listening to it I suppose that sort of does that is, is, are you sort of giving that information to uh, artists who are making shows to be like oh look the people really like that section more or mm-hmm. maybe maybe do that more or do you just let yeah. them with it yeah I mean we get some of that information from Apple as well that Apple have some deeper analytics that you can get access to but yeah the St- Stitcher one too and it, the, the first thing we took from that really was um, you can see whether people are skipping ad reads or not which is mm. kind of important because we're ad yeah. uh, supported and it was it was pretty heartening how few were I think the Earwolf uh, host read ad format is that our ads are usually pretty funny yeah, that's, yeah. Um, and so in the premium version we, we offer ad free and with like three or four shows mm-hmm. we've had fans say can we also have the uh, the ads back in in premium because oh, wow. uh, like this show Hollywood Handbook which is um kind of a cult hit and even the fans say take about 13 15 episodes to to get and, and then <laughs> okay. you love it so it's, it's kind of a tricky one to get into but their their ads when we take them out it's like 20 minutes worth of extra content and they do characters and they've got like running storylines mm. and um yeah they're, they're really funny yeah, no, my, fr- my friend Jay does a lot of um, YouTube ads for like Skillshare and things like this. And uh, and generally speaking, all of his comments, or maybe half his comments, are about the ad in it because he just makes them so fun. Like mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes he spends so much longer on those than that because obviously it, it's it's the thing that's paying for the video. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense to sort of... Um, I think I think that's the most interesting part for me about ads is like you, you there was that there's a sort of pre-roll things that you know sort of just go on videos mm-hmm. on YouTube specifically now and and they're never really I mean they're getting more specific I saw one like I live in Rickmansworth and mm-hmm. just outside London and one advert came on something like oh come down to Perry Perry Chicken in Rickmansworth and I was like that's too specific like that makes me feel quite uncomfortable that you know where I'm living. Right. Um, whereas, like, a specific ad, like, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a podcast I've listened to recently, mm-hmm. but just just making it fun, and mm-hmm. especially as it's meant to be a comedy anyway, just makes you not want to leave. I was thinking, actually, that's a, that's a good one. Bill Burr, for mm-hmm. example, he does ad reads for his own podcast right. and often forgets them. I know they're not only on yeah. the network, but um, it's, it's, uh, it's just trying to make it as engaging as possible. Mm-hmm. And I suppose... Do you get involved in that element for them, or do you just go, you just need to promote this, and here are the three bullet points, make it as funny as you can, or is it a case of you have to kind of editorially edit those to make sure that the ad don't get annoyed, you know, the, the people that are paying you are not going to get annoyed at the way they're being portrayed? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's more um, like, like giving notes on an ongoing thing, so we've got um, a new show at the moment, and they're doing a great job of the ad reads, but there may be giving them more time than they need like the the advertisers are paying for a minute long mid-roll ad and uh as, as fun as you make them like like more than three minutes or whatever and i think you, you're kind of taking the piss on right. on like listeners and things um and but but hosts some hosts will be just like i just want to like they've given me this ad copy and it's a page and the idea is that you kind of dip in and take a few of the lines and mm. then there's a few things that you absolutely have to say and some new hosts will just give give it everything and that's <laughs> that's way more than anyone's paying for so i'd like note note back to them that hey you don't need to go on for much longer and we can have the engineer or the producer in the room just like go hey you've, you've got everything covered mm. or like edit them down a little bit there yeah some sometimes we'll get um 
complaints if if comedians uh, usually it's that they they that there's too much swearing in for like a major brand oh, okay. or it gets um, we we had an amazing one from throwing shade where um, there was a, an ad for like a, a blue pill blue chew like Viagra pill and so Brian uh, the guy host was like I'm such a dog I need my dick hard and then like that was that was like borderline and then Aaron Gibson then read one that was like a uh, prescription delivery contraception and she's like when I need my slut pills <laughs> and it was like it was so funny and I was I honestly my as an ex-BBC producer I should have been like alarm bells everywhere but I was just like this is so yeah. funny and then of course the advertiser came back and was like we'd rather you didn't call our product slut pills <laughs> uh, so we had to give them like a free extra ad to make up for it so so kind of I guess you want in that kind of situation you want to give the host as much creative freedom as possible mm. and then maybe after she does the yeah. really hilarious one go can we have another one now that doesn't say slut pills <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. um, so that you're there as the kind of safety net for the hosts yeah yeah, because I, I mean, that's that's the biggest, I mean, I'm comparing YouTube to podcasts, which you should never really do, but um, YouTube's biggest problem is is what ads go on and when it reflects badly on, because mm-hmm. uh, obviously they don't, uh, they're not as, organized is the wrong word, but mm-hmm. they're not as uh, specific as you, where you can like say, you're advertising this, you're advertising yeah. this, because you've got such a lower number of shows, whereas right. YouTube's just everything, so that stuff appears, and that always means like every couple of months, or every year maybe, there's an adpocalypse type yeah. thing, where they just drop it, and all of a sudden no one wants to advertise. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming, correlation-wise, that's pretty good for you, because if they're not putting their money there, they want to promote something else somewhere else, and podcasting is such an intimate mm-hmm. art form and means of enjoying content. Mm-hmm. Is there a is there a time, or, or do, you, do you ever feel like people are stopping advertising, say for example, on TV or on YouTube and moving to podcasts? Or um, so far, for like the big brands, like the the Cokes and the Pepsis and things, it's still it's not so much about them stopping advertising somewhere else. It's just about educating them that podcasting's like a great place to advertise because. Mm. Uh, listeners are really paying attention to the hosts the hosts are going to do a really fun engaging read um and so they get they get really good conversion rates but it's still like like trying to convince someone to listen to a podcast you still have to explain what a podcast is to these people like we're dealing with uh the one of the unions in the u.s at the moment and trying to um get our shows accredited for for like union work because that gives people health insurance and, Mm. and makes a big difference and it's, it's been months just trying to explain what a podcast is and why it's not like a TV show. Because mm. they're like, okay, so what's your budget then? And you're like, well, our budget's like nothing. Yeah. And how many episodes in a season? Well, 52 hour-long episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> and they're yeah. like, well, this is going to be really expensive. And it, yeah, it's, it's like talking, explaining podcasts, as you know, to people that don't know what a podcast is, is, is weirdly difficult. Yeah, I mean, I because... Once you've got the initial, I mean, like, so my equipment, uh, the recorder was like 400 quid, and I bought it, and the mics were a couple hundred quid. Once you've got that, mm-hmm. if, if you, for example, as a network, have bought the mics and the recorder and stuff, and, and there's a soundproof room, mm-hmm. the costs are pretty much just the time of the person and then the editing time. Mm-hmm. It's really not like the most expensive. I mean, uh, you know, I'm sort of downplaying a lot of the stuff yeah. there, but it's quite easy. You know, you, and also you could record, we can record one now, leave, and then some people else can pick up a mic and just record the next mm-hmm. one. It's not like TV where you've got to move a whole set out the yeah. way. And, and I mean, I, I have, I mean, it's weird because over here, I, I have never had to explain what a podcast is. And podcasting was bigger in America mm-hmm. than here before we got it. So it's interesting that they're sort of still catching up in certain mm-hmm. areas. Yeah, I mean, I still, th- still think that that's the, like, 
we're we're really friendly with the other podcast networks and i feel like like every now and then someone will get a show and you're like damn it we wanted to get that person <laughs> but mostly it's this rising tide thing where we're all just competing against the people that aren't listening to podcasts yet mm. and trying to grow the industry and educate people as listeners and advertisers um and then as the advertising models kind of growing and changing like like this omni service that that we've just acquired is going to allow us to do that kind of programmatic ads that you get in uh, in youtube mm. we've already got the technology to do very local ads so we can do um like ads that well i mean what i what i sell it to our hosts on is if you're touring the east coast of the u.s we can run a promo for your tour and only people in the east coast of the u.s mm. uh, hear it and that's really useful but it also means that you can have nando's ads in the uk and yeah, yeah. something else uh, somewhere else so um Podfront UK, this this company that we're just working on with uh, this other network, Wondery, um, is going to be about like focusing on trying to grow the British uh, podcast advertising market, uh, which is uh, was explained to me as like British radio ads are just so much better than American ones that people are used to just having <laughs> um, pre-produced ads mm. in a sh- in a show and it's yeah. like less jarring to them. Certainly, like American TV ads are, are like terrible. Yeah. And then you come back and you see uh, some weird uh, rave baby Weetabix <laughs> ad or whatever, and you're like, "Wow, good, good work, Britain." Yeah, yeah, I think, but I think historically, um, Britain's advertising was a lot less in your face, and mm. it was a lot more. Um, I can't think. A creative is probably the wrong word, but it's it's just we've. I think because we've grown up. Uh, with ads in a different way mm-hmm. and, a di- and a different relationship to TV to America that, that it's always been a bit um, I don't know I, I, so for example whenever I hear like a, a jokey podcast ad or whatever it would be I always I always sort of have a moment where I go hmm like because because it, it's like oh it's a nicer ad uh-huh. and, and but then there's some ads like um, oh what was the there was a there was a crime podcast I was listening to and they had stamps.com which does a lot of podcast mm-hmm. advertising yeah. and uh and they did this whole, it was, I, I, I was listening to it, and as it was going through, I was going, oh, this is just a weird crowbar. Da-. And and so, like, sometimes you, have, they were talking about how, you know, you might have to move evidence around the country mm-hmm. or something, and stamps.com will move the evidence right. or whatever. And it was a bit like, will they, that? I mean, like, you know, like yeah. it was so silly. And so, so I think there's, there's like a line where, where, uh, uh, and I suppose with that sort of network, with that sort of specific regional mm-hmm. advertising, you can even go well okay well we know that English people will listen to that mm-hmm. sort of ad and they'll listen to that sort of ad so we'll just do three different reads mm-hmm. for globally or would yeah. that or would that not be the way you'd want to go with it because yeah. that's well, three times the work also we can do that <laughs> or we, we can have like a voice of the network do an ad for, mm. for like smaller regions so maybe if you're in the UK you don't get the the host doing the ad you've just got some someone else that's kind mm. of a regular person and then a little bit further down down the line like there's this this like pyramid of value where the host read ones at the top and then maybe uh, the next layer is like someone else from the network reading it but it's still slightly personal and then at the bottom you've just got whatever Pepsi ad campaign yeah. is going around at the moment and that's that's weirdly worth the least amount of money even if it's Pepsi um, but you can run that mm. on ads on episodes that are like six months old or whatever so if someone's just going through the archive you can still get some extra value out of it and i've kind of come around on on ads like coming from public service broadcasting and stuff like that where i was very anti anti the commercial because i could be but now i think as long as you're giving people the option of like how do you want to support this show you can Mm. either pay and have it without ads or you can have it for free and it's Mm. with ads um or like there's all the kind of patreon options and stuff like that like Mm. i think 
you, you're giving people access to, to what you're making. You're finding the biggest audience possible, which is what hosts mostly mm. want is for people to hear their work. Um, but you're also saying choose choose how you want to support this. Mm. And then hopefully pe- people do one way or another. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you about Patreon and your thoughts on, on that specific model. Because uh, I've, I've noticed a few pods have had or used to have before being with you, you know, like that mm-hmm. sort of model. And I feel like that's the only area that you guys currently don't have your own version of. Mm-hmm. So, like, is there, is there a reason for that? Is it because it's always historically been your ads, you do ads? Like, what do, what yeah. do you think of Patreon? I think... I really like it, and I think historically it's been just that because we've got Stitcher Premium, we don't want someone doing like bonus episodes somewhere else. Um, and I don't know, maybe maybe that could change because I, th- I think Patreon at the moment is a, a good model and is like a, a third option that we don't really have. I think there's a bunch of fans that want to support an individual podcast very directly. Mm. And so Stitcher Premium, if you just listen to one show on Stitcher Premium, they're going to get most of the money that you're paying but you're probably listening to a handful of shows and mm. so it, it feels a little bit less direct um so i think maybe there's maybe there's ways to do a patreon thing where there's video content that goes up there or like something that's not not what we're doing um but i think yeah i think it's a good model i wonder at what point that they're on like a five percent revenue share or an eight yeah. percent revenue share or something like that and i think as a company my if, if I was partnering them, I'd wonder at what point that changes because that seems mm-hmm. like a kind of an introductory offer. And then once once all your fans are there and you don't have another option, then maybe that gets ratcheted up. Yeah, that, I mean... Like they tried to one. put it up the other year and yeah. and then back down because everyone backlashed. Move, but yeah. clear, clearly as a business, you need to be making money out of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, uh, I think Amanda Palmer's their biggest... Uh, mm-hmm. Like got the most patrons. I don't know whether yeah. I mean she has the most money coming in, but she has the most patrons, and and that makes sense based on her background. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can imagine that she has more clout over moving because I think mm-hmm. her fans would just go straight to PayPal or something right. if they did yeah. that. Whereas I think a lot of people once they've set a thing up, if you make them move, a lot of people will go, well, if you just can't, yeah, we're just how many of them are we going to lose? Exactly. But then I'd also say, like when I have meetings with with either my hosts or people coming in, like there's some people that Patreon's just the better model for. Mm. Like, you see the Doughboys making, um, so what, they were, they were on, like, 60 grand a month or something at one point when they were still showing, like, what, what they were making. Mm. Um, like, it's, it's very difficult to compete with that in any <laughs> other model. If, if you've got, like, a, a very specifically focused fan base who just want to support you, mm. then I, I, I don't know other models can compete with that. And yeah. That's that's fine. Great. Go go make your money. It's time for the awkward middle bit. I'm loving hearing how Earwolf operates. As someone who is with Acast, who are a European podcast network, it's awesome to hear how different they are and learn from what they offer different podcasters and how they each can operate in the same space but as a different entity. I'm I'm tempted to get Acast on. I think it'd be really fun to, to sort of interview them about how they operate and what they're looking for as podcasters and podcasts and essentially an advertising platform. So if you'd like me to get them on, please do tweet me at this made me call or write in the Facebook group, Simon, I'd love to hear Acast on the podcast and I will send them an email and try and see if they're up for doing it. 
while the ad is playing, please do consider giving us a review. All reviews really help out the show because they make us look better to future guests, but they also help get us up the chart and really help me stay motivated through the hours of editing that I do to bring you this show. So, if you can leave us a review, ideally a five-star review would be great. If not, a four-star review that reads like a five would be just as good. Here's your mid-roll ad. And we're back. If you're enjoying this and you want to learn more about building online communities, you might like my book. It's called How to Make a Living by Working for Free. It's £5 digitally on my website, and there's a link in the show notes. It's basically a how-to guide for artists built around interviews that I conducted with comedians, musicians, writers, and so many more who've managed to build their own online audience and then ask them to support them to continue to make free content that they love. Now, let's dive back into this podcast nerd fest. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um, scouting for new shows. You mentioned that obviously some people recommend shows on the network and of course the sort of um, uh, door is more open that way. But do you do you listen to shows? Do you take submissions for shows? Like if someone wanted to join who mm-hmm. was nowhere near connected to it, obviously you're launching the, the UK arm now, mm-hmm. but I meant pre that maybe. Like what, how, how are you looking for shows and what are you looking for in a future show? Um... Mm. Uh, I get like people just email or or uh, tweet at me or whatever, um, and if they've got a show, and usually I'll I'll give it a listen and and figure it out. Um, like I say, because our numbers are like we're looking for fifty thousand downloads a month or something as um, like per episode uh, as a kind of minimum for ad sales. So there's there's a threshold there a little bit that. Um, it's, it's difficult for a bunch of shows to, mm. to get beyond. Hopefully, if we signed a smaller show, we're able to help bring it up to that level with mm-hmm. our promotion and stuff. So, yeah, so people people email or um, pitch. We get a lot of stuff now through big agencies in the US. United Talent and WME and CAA, all these big agencies now have like an agent who just does podcasting, which when we're dealing with them and we're doing these like multi-million dollar deals, they seem like like big business and then you'll speak to some of the talent and they'll be like oh they gave me the podcast boy yeah. and it's it's like oh all the other agents bully you because <laughs> you're just the podcast guy but um i think that's changing but so we'll, we'll get sent a bunch of pitches that way and increasingly they're now just like famous person feels like they should have a podcast and then you look at the idea and there's no idea someone recently just pitched us on a uh, famous person wants to have their own podcast network um doesn't have any ideas for it um, but someone else has offered them uh, whatever, like a six-figure deal. Wow. And so would we like to counter? <laughs> it's like, no, okay. no, I need to know what the ideas are yeah, totally. before I'm going to gamble that on it. And things we're looking for, uh, I mean, what I've been working on with Airwolf is, is trying to, it, it started, and this is kind of a slightly unfair generalization, but it started as kind of a white male improv uh, kind of clique. And there was there was some uh, diverse representation there, but not not very much. And I mean, much much like anywhere else in the media, it was all white and male, and that's that's comedy. And so I've been working on first we, we kind of built up uh, like a more like a queer core of, of shows. And I think the idea is that like the way the network grew up was was comedy bang bang at the center, and then mm. shows that fitted around it. And then hopefully you come for comedy bang bang, and then you listen to something else. So if you want to kind of uh, evolve the network and and have more representation, you need like clusters of shows that are, feel like that kind of family. So we've we've now got uh, Jonathan Van Ness from Queer Eye doing Getting Curious and we've got Cameron Esposito's Query and Dave Holmes and Matt McConkie doing Homophilia and so there's this this like little queer hub and hopefully mm. 
if um, if that's a kind of uh, area that you're interested in, then here's a little family of shows that can cross promote and mm-hmm. and bring you in. Uh, we're now uh, trying to trying to focus on more women and people of color. So mm-hmm. we just launched our first uh, Latinx hosted comedy show, Spanish Aki presents uh, which i'm really excited about they do a show at the ucb this this mm. big comedy theater in la um which every time you go it's just an audience of like white guys and some white women and then spanish aki presents do like a monthly show and it's fully uh, latinx crowd and it's just like oh where have they come from and if they can do that to a theater yeah. can they do that to podcasting and i think there's not you know it's it's certainly in california there's there's a huge latinx population mm. that's not really being served by podcasting or by comedy podcasting and i think that's another thing where it's like we're we're a commercial organization and and there's a commercial imperative to to do that it's not about like let's be uh, good people or not entirely that sure yeah. it's nice to be good people but also just like it's a really clear business case for mm. if there's this huge audience that's not being served then go and try and serve them so i think probably spanish language would be a next step like like you see kind of netflix doing like they're mm. making shows around the world and that's that's something that we'd like to be able to do and then a little bit further along i think ne- next year um more scripted stuff uh, would be something that we'd really like to do and that's been challenging until now because it's it's expensive if you're paying mm. people for scripts and you're paying actors and we're a big enough network that I don't think we can be like just pulling in favors on that kind of no. thing I think you need to pay people properly um, uh, and in the past it's been challenging because to sell ads on something you need like 25 episodes you need to kind mm. of consistency and to build the audience mm. and it's difficult to like take a gamble on a scripted thing for 25 episodes of all course. of a sudden yeah. but I think our new ad sales methods mean that we might be more able to support like 10 12 sh- shorter runs and then the other thing is there's not really a history of people making that in the US. So I think that's where producers from the UK and Canada, where there's been this kind of radio drama, radio comedy tradition, are going to have a real advantage. And there's probably going to be a kind of second boom for those uh, producers in, in serving this demand because the kind of American radio drama is still kind of this American life doing coconut shells and like old-timey radio and it's like you don't make TV or films like old-timey why are you trying to do that with audio but there's a lot of there's like an amazing pool of talent of like American like Hollywood actors who are very happy to come and spend half a day doing an audio thing because it's Mm. fun to do and you don't have to do hair and makeup and you're not sitting in a trailer for the whole day you're just coming and doing your showing off which is what actors like like to do so I think there's there's huge opportunities there and it's it's about just like finding the right scripts and finding the right producers and I think 2020 is probably going to be a, a pretty big year for that. Yeah, I always find that really interesting because like um, over over in the UK, there's a lot of um, channels that are going on about quotas and diversity mm-hmm. and and often I feel like I mean putting aside my personal issues with quotas in certain mm-hmm. areas. I, I don't, it, there's a lot of like ne- negativity around it in the sense that people think, and I suppose at a certain point that might happen every now and then where someone who just fits a quota gets a thing rather mm-hmm. than someone who's earned it. But I think generally speaking, it's a business move rather than it being a, you know, you, you, you want someone who can do it, mm-hmm. who also adds value to your, you as a business yeah. rather than it being just, and as you said, you know, there's an imperative to be a good person mm-hmm. as well, but there's, a, but it's also like, 
if you if you only had a network i mean there's a for example there's a there's um a comedy agent in the south of London uh, called Up the Creek mm-hmm. that largely has um, acts of colour, mm-hmm. and they and they're now starting to take on white acts. Yeah, and it's and it's sort of like I, I felt like they weren't necessarily getting much slack for that, whereas it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. You sort of have a and I don't know there's a power dynamic there, and mm-hmm. there's a whole issue that. But it's always interesting the 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 response to to that, and I suppose when you start to do it in the way that I feel like you guys are doing it, I suppose the response will be quite positive because online it seems so much different than the historical mainstream mm-hmm. old school, you know, like so TV and radio is seen like um, maybe the old boys club mm-hmm. or, 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 you know, predominantly run by white people for, yeah. you know, that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. Whereas online I feel like everyone's got their own voice, everyone's got their own platform. And, I've, and you know, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass mm-hmm. in this way, but I feel like the way that most networks are doing this online, it, it comes off more... Um, let's help the voices rather than we're doing a quota thing right yeah and the like the quota thing doesn't really stand up because if if the person's not good enough if the show's not funny enough then people won't listen yeah and it'll drop away so it's not like we're taking it's not like we're forcing unqualified people like on onto the yeah. airwaves which is what people's like paranoia around quotas are and one of the things is is making sure like you say it's like run by run by white people and i'm obviously i'm like a cis straight white guy running this network so what i can do is hire people of color as producers and they push because they're like these are the shows that i'm going to see this is this is what i like and um so like that's that's a big driving force as well is that they're going to see shows beyond the shows that i normally would go and see and so hopefully as as the industry matures then those are the people then running the industry and then mm. quotas no more it's fully just um a diverse group of people making a diverse group of shows exactly yeah I, I feel like that's that's the advantage that the internet has over old school mainstream media if you like because they they take longer to turn their ship around mm-hmm. whereas as you said you know now you've got a studio where one, 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 you know, you can book an hour slot in for a show and then an hour later mm-hmm. there can be another show and you sort of have the capacity to go, okay, we've got a three-hour slot, let's try this podcast, mm-hmm. let's make a pilot, let's see what we think of it. It doesn't even have to go out, we're just going to make those and go, you right. know, see where it goes. I mean, how many, how many, obviously the scripted stuff you mentioned, but how many pilots do you make that never even see the light of day? Uh, we mostly now put out our pilots. That's one of the things, one of the nice things that, that we're able to do is when I take a meeting with someone, if I like the idea, I'll say let's let's make a pilot because that's that's how you find out if someone's going to be like a fun podcast host mm. is as great as they might be in a meeting. You just want to hear what their dynamic is with their their co-host or with their guest or whatever. Mm. So, and we've got studios and we've got engineers and we've got producers. It doesn't cost us much to make a pilot. Um, then typically we'd put it on. Um, we've got an. Uh, an RSS feed called Ear Wolf Presents. We'll put it up there. We can see how the the audience reacts. Sometimes we've already greenlit it, and it's just a way of putting it out into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, if we don't pick a show up, then uh, the hosts are free to take that pilot and go and make it with Acast or make mm-hmm. it with Forever Dog or you know one of the many other networks or just make it themselves. Like that's one of the nice things with podcasting is like when I turn someone down for a show they can just make their show yeah, yeah. like I'm, I'm a gatekeeper to to like facilities and money and things like that but you can st- 
as professional as the industry get people can, it's, it's still so democratic in that anyone can have a podcast you yeah. can still make it i can't stop people from making a podcast no exactly i mean that that's uh, i mean I, I had meetings with the bbc last year and eventually they they didn't want to go with the the I'm, i was making a pilot for a podcast mm-hmm. and they were interested in it and we had about eight months of meetings and it, when they said no i went i'll just make it as a podcast and and it's um it's really interesting. I had a really interesting chat with like one of my heroes on this podcast mm-hmm. who just said, every time I get a no, if I like the idea, I go and make it better. I don't just leave it. And because he works in old school, like, you know, TV or radio or, or films now a lot, it meant that he kind of has to just make the thing better to get through a gatekeeper. Whereas, and I remember t- t- asking him afterwards, why don't you just try and make it yourself? Right. Like, it's, you know, like you can make it as an audio thing or you can make like a really low budget 10 mm-hmm. minute version and send it to them. Mm-hmm. Why, why are you not? And he was like, well, you know, my agent, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But, but it's, it's weird. As soon as you get into that world, it's kind of like you're, it's, I feel like maybe it's hard to break away. Although having said that, like you said, you've got um, Conan O'Brien and like Gilbert mm-hmm. Gottfried and like these big, these big mainstream yeah. names starting podcasts. And obviously there needs to be an idea there. Obviously there needs to be like an actual mm-hmm. uh, reason for that podcast to exist more than big name does podcast. Mm-hmm. How, I mean... And I, I think that's going to increasingly be the case. Like we've, uh, with Conan, he was able to bring in these people as guests who've never done podcast guest mm. spots before because he's got famous friends. And then we're doing a show now with Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally and seeing the guest list, it's like, oh, they're friends with some of the same people. Mm. And that's, it's still, it's the second time I'm going to have heard yeah. them on a podcast. So it's still exciting and it's going to have a, a special okay. twist because it's Nick and Megan and, and so that's going to be cool. Um, but I could definitely see in like a year or two's time that as as the first generation of podcasts got to the point where it's like, oh, this person again, this person's always a guest on podcasts, that mm. we're just going to have that higher level of, yeah, I've yeah. heard this person talk about like how they started, what they're working mm-hmm. on now, like whatever weird biographical thing. Yeah, like yeah, I, th- yeah. I think that's, that's not going to cut it anymore. And I think that's where your kind of scripted podcasts mm. and kind of original formats and just good produ- high production and good editing and things like that is going to, start making a difference and that it, it won't be good enough to say like Dana Carvey's on an episode yeah no totally I, I mean my the inter- most interesting part about my this this experience of podcasting for me is the episode with a famous person quote unquote mm-hmm. on it are not doing as well as the episodes of people behind the scenes on right because the audience I have are interested right. in how things are made and what mm-hmm. they, happens and and it's it's weird because like i'll get like an email from someone who's like quite well known mm-hmm. who's like oh i'm a big fan of the pod i'd love to come on and and they'll come on and then um like you know they'll say oh how did i do against you know like the the commissioner right. of this thing and i'll have to say you, you got maybe a quarter less yeah. downloads or i mean it's not a major difference but it's a noticeable difference mm-hmm. and it's because th- of the audience that it is and i feel like just having a name is not it's as valuable as ever in mainstream, mm-hmm. but I, and and obviously there are a certain number of people who are just super fans of yeah, person yeah. who will just download everything that that person ever mm-hmm. says. But I think, so for example, there are celebrities who are podcasters mm-hmm. who can walk down the street and no one, unless they say something, right. will recognise who the hell yeah. they are. And and I find that a really interesting dynamic. And and like so, what when you are looking to bring on a show, mm-hmm. obviously there's that minimum threshold. But like like you said, there's like some cult shows that don't have that many downloads but they've just got this diehard base of mm-hmm. fans where do you stand on those ones where, where where are you like would you would you ever rule out a culty show would it would it ever ruin a culty show for you to kind of elevate it Ah, huh. um yeah i don't know there's yeah there's definitely like our show hollywood handbook part of the the issue in trying to grow that show and it's it's doing fine like it's a really successful show and it's there's a weird thing talking about audience numbers where even that like ten thousand download show where 
for us that's like that's a struggling show and we're having to look at, at whether we can make it work but that's still in like the top like zero one percent of all podcasts <laughs> yeah so like you do have to keep reminding everyone like you're all doing great like yeah. you're getting paid to do a podcast yeah. that's that's insane yeah so so with hollywood handbook there's a, an issue in trying to grow it i think because the fans like to keep it as their secret mm. and so they'll maybe tell like their, their one best friend who uh, they'll really be into it but they don't they don't want everyone to be listening to yeah. it they want it to be their little little community so i, I think there's maybe maybe that, that there's like a jealous guarding of it but um like i think it's that podcasting niche thing where you can you can find an audience from all over the world who are just into this very specific thing and it can be a big audience but still in your hometown there might be no one else that's interested in it it's just as an aggregate over the whole globe there's enough to support a a podcast Mm. and like and, and in terms of like when people start podcasts what are the biggest mistakes you've made as a network and what are the biggest mistakes you see other people making that you would say look just you know, work work on the artwork better. Work mm-hmm. on the name better. Work on the description better. What what are making people not clickbaiting, obviously, mm-hmm. but like what what are the things that people are doing that make them discover shows other than obviously if you had their own network? Yeah, I mean, I think the mistakes uh, are just all the things that you said. Like part of the attraction of podcasting is I can just make a thing and get it out there, and I think too many people rush into a launch because they've got an idea and they're desperate to start their podcast typically for us now we, we tell people that from signing a contract which can take ages in itself uh, we'd want about three months uh, run into a launch mm. so that we can sell ads effectively and we can plan a marketing strategy effectively and we can get beautiful artwork and we can go and have a photo shoot with the hosts so that um, that you get way more write-ups in in magazines and online and things like that if you can give them nice artwork <laughs> and a photo because mm. that makes someone else's job easy. Mm. Uh, good descriptions, like compelling, like a one-line, here's what the show is, why is it different from everything else? And I think also, you know, your first episode, you want you want to launch with, with your strongest foot forward or whatever. Mm. So maybe don't put out the first one you recorded. Maybe <laughs> record a few of them and get a sense of what the show is. Certainly with shows I've made like maybe maybe 10 episodes in you're like okay now I get what the show is and if if you're in a position to just bank those and then put them somewhere later or like when you take a week off for Christmas go hey here's here's one of our pilots you might enjoy it. Um I I do that. I think there's mistakes that people make in terms of uh that's a negative way of putting it i think like best practice is to make sure that your shows like the right length for what the content is so typically historically we've said between 30 and 45 minutes is a really good length like the average commute's about 30 minutes so if most people are listening on their commute then your show has to be really good for them to listen to anything after 30 minutes Mm because that's what they're listening to on their way home uh and for certainly from my own experience if i've listened to 30 minutes of a podcast on the way in there's a good chance i'll listen to a different podcast yeah. later so so be aware like how how long is it why is it that long don't just make it three hours because it's podcasting and you've got the freedom to <laughs> yeah 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 um be be regular you want to be the show that people listen to every monday mm-hmm. or tuesday or whatever and and as soon as you don't release on that same day and time then you're irritating your fans and you risk them finding something else to listen to on a monday mm. yeah weird, weirdly it's it's a lot of the stuff it's it's, it's all professional stuff is what mm. you do for for a radio show or a tv show and and look at that and try and try and mimic it um which is is a weird thing because podcasting was this big free yeah, like yeah. free for all but if you want to be successful then you've got to take it yeah like take it job. really seriously exactly yeah 
And what and what's your relationship like with iTunes? Uh, it's pretty good. Like there's there's different people in the US that do do Apple podcast stuff to hear, but yeah, as as a network, hopefully, or as someone that's been working in podcasting for a while, um, you've got those direct relationships, and so when when Conan's going to launch a podcast, you can go to them in advance, and they'll feature it. Uh, prominently and they'll say can he include like an Apple Podcasts logo on his TV show when he mentions it and mm. things like that so mm. that's that's kind of leverage that we've got but I think they're also in my experience pretty open to if you've just got a really cool idea or a cool talent or you've, you want to work with them on something that's, that's like a little bit different I think they're fairly open to that it'll be interesting to see now that they've announced that they're going to s- start investing in podcasts mm. what, what that ends up looking like yeah. like I, I don't know if that's going to be more just like a marketing spend which mm. which is great I mean if you can get someone to pay for some marketing like paid marketing is something that we do quite a lot of as well we're able to do the cross promo on mm. our network but also if we can if we've got a show that's a bit like my favorite murder and we can spend <laughs> the thousands of dollars to get a promo on my favorite murder that's oh, yeah, that yeah. seems to be the best way of finding a big audience is um advertising on podcasts like we talked about doing billboards and things like that and the marketing team were saying that maybe 80 percent of the people that see that billboard don't know what a podcast is yeah, so yeah. the the barrier to them clicking through and listening to your podcast is that much higher than if mm. it's someone that's already listening to a podcast they already like podcasts exactly. they're in the market for podcasts and if it's a similar kind of show then then hopefully that's a good way of reaching them so that's something where like uh helen zaltzman runs that facebook yeah, podcasters podcast support group, group yeah. and there's a thing on there for like promo exchanges yeah, and yeah. I, I think that's a genius idea like that's mm. what the professionals are doing and here's this like free access to doing something mm. similar for like the indie podcast scene like mm. if i was an indie podcaster i'd be making sure that i was on that like every month yeah yeah no helen's amazing she's really cool um no i mean uh, it, it's weird trying to find an audience for a podcast because ultimately um you know, like you said, if they're already listening, then they're already podcast mm-hmm. savvy and they know what they're doing with it. Whereas, uh, you know, like, so I found my uh, plays went up when I started embedding episodes on my website mm-hmm. and then asking people to share the, the, the link. Yeah. Because people who don't know, or people who even don't want to get a podcast mm-hmm. on their phone, they just want to listen to it at work or whatever, didn't, you know, they didn't have a way of doing yeah. it. So by offering them that option, and also then I started uh, making video versions of these. So like it was, you know, being recorded, <laughs> right. a, a vi- like as in just a, a static image uh-huh. on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Meant that people would discover it, and mm-hmm. then and then uh, then then it would actually lead through to people subscribing yeah. and downloading it that way. And it's and it's trying to find little ways that you know you can find the mm. podcasty people. Yeah. Um, because obviously, like I said, a billboard or even like an underground. Um, tube thing I suppose if you're at like a level so <clears throat> at this festival I've seen like the Guilty Feminists mm-hmm. have got like big billboards because yeah. they've had like I don't know 75 million downloads right. you know most of the people here who've listened to it will know what that is mm-hmm. and it's and if anything you, you're kind of like okay with just it being those people because mm-hmm. there's enough of them so I found it really interesting that you guys were considering billboards when because also people would be driving I assume when mm-hmm. they're doing that and yeah, you can't yeah. really sort of subscribe to it when you're doing that and, you, and there's so many and they might even be listening to a podcast so they wouldn't remember that podcast mm-hmm. because of the the uh, yeah yeah I mean we did a billboard last year for Hollywood Handbook but that mm. was more as like a, a gag like fun thing to do and the billboard was there like an, an iTunes review with one star and it was like bad podcast very bad 
Hollywood Handbook, and it was up next to Netflix. So that was like a fun thing <laughs> on on Sunset Boulevard. So the hosts liked it, fans liked it. Like it's it's more for kind of that kind of marketing rather mm. than actually. I, I wouldn't imagine it brought in that many extra listeners, but yeah. it's it's a fun thing to do. And I think like if we've got the the marketing muscle to do more of that in mm. the future, like. Uh, the fun thing, one a fun thing about living in Hollywood is that all the billboards are for show business. It's all like John Oliver and TV shows and films, and part of that is that they're all campaigning for awards for like Emmys or whatever. And so it's like for your consideration billboards. And the other is that like Britney Spears is going to drive down that street, so it's nice if she sees a Britney Spears mm. billboard. And record labels will just be like, sure, like let's pay pay three grand so that Britney feels happy. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. What, what do you make of awards? Do you think they're valuable? Do you think they bring in listeners? Uh, I mostly hate them because I think <laughs> the judging is kind of pretty arbitrary and having judged them before, like you see that people like vote for their friends and uh, I particularly hate like this, like the Webbies, it's like $200 or something to enter for the Webbies and it's like, oh, yeah. that's such a scam. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think paying to enter's pretty pretty rough and that that's like there's podcast conferences that feel like they're just exploiting people that want to get into podcasting and so i'm kind of against those but then it definitely helps for for like uh discovery mm. and and for audiences to find a thing uh, and i guess if there was like a, an awards where it's because yeah i guess the other thing is either they're voted on by a panel where it's like who who are my friends with like what what the shows that i like or what kind of shows do i like it's a lot of personal preference or it's that like public vote in which case it's who's the most famous person like like uh jonathan van ness from netflix is able to motivate a big audience base to like click through and vote for him and there might be another queer podcast that just doesn't have a famous person in it and mm. is a better podcast but yeah, yeah so it's it's like either way around they're, they're kind of unfair and arbitrary mm. but uh if you win one it's nice yeah um and it, it you know it gives gives the industry like a a point in the year where you get to reward things yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of against paying for them though because yeah even when we've got the money it's like i'd rather spend that on <laughs> anything else yeah exactly exactly and, wh- and what do you think of spotify moving into the podcast market yeah, that's that's exciting. I think that it's it's sort of creating a bit of a bubble for production companies more than anything else. That you see kind of Gimlet and a bunch of little indie production companies being bought for tens of millions of dollars by Spotify, and that doesn't seem sustainable. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting uh, what shows they make. I think the most exciting thing about Spotify and podcasting is music licensing and then mm. being able to they've they've got ways of doing kind of like recreating a breakfast show where there's a bit of comedy content or chat and then a song that's effectively from your like discover weekly Mm. and then a bit of chat so it's it's like a breakfast show that's tailor-made to you that's cool like stuff like that's really exciting yeah i mean i I think that maybe stops being a podcast but that's probably what happens to our industry longer term like Mm. we're we're podcasting because apple created an ipod and then created a thing Mm. and it's it's like audio evolving and being a different different shape and so the, yeah the different shapes are really exciting mm, no definitely definitely I've, I've noticed a lot of tv shows in america have st- so like uh brooklyn 99 or john oliver or, or whatever one we want mm-hmm. to talk about have taken snippets or even entire shows and put them on youtube mm-hmm. in order to sort of find more of an audience do you think that's going to be a trend with podcasts or do you think that that you know youtube is mainly mm-hmm. a visual medium so the audience no, I think that's if, if the audience is on YouTube, then you want to go after them there. It's not something I've spent a bunch of time doing, but always, again, seems like a valuable thing. I think the last Infinite Dial 
like Edison research thing was saying that like 50% of people listening to podcasts are listening on desktop, mm. which is insane to me. Like that's not what a podcast no, for, but I guess yeah. there's a lot of people just sitting in the office listening to podcasts all mm. day. And if, if they're on desktops, then give them an easy way of doing that. Like I remember watching, uh, watching young people listening to music on YouTube. That's where they were listening to music. And so you want your podcast to be where people are listening. Mm. So yeah, static images and, I think there's a slight issue with like counting those numbers as listens still like if you're ad supported particularly so so that's a bit of a challenge for like us but I think there's also like what used to be called audiogram I think now it's headliner mm. where you get those little social media you put in a t- two to three minute clip and it's a static image mm. and then like a little waveform yeah, and it's really shareable on Facebook and Twitter and stuff mm. so I think that's a really good way to go out there and get an audience um, and increasingly we're getting people asking for uh, subtitling in podcasts as well so mm. that deaf people can enjoy them so whether that's just a transcript that people can read or whether that's just just subtitling on a video so I think yeah I think you want your podcast to be everywhere it can be mm, yeah totally totally um these are the last uh, quick fire questions so quick mm. for me and you can answer them however you want um who was the first person in the industry to believe in you <laughs> um it was it was in the radio industry and i think it was a guy called graham frost who was developing comedy stuff in manchester and didn't know any of the manchester comedy scene and so I was a, a student who was like working on the bar and doing promotion and he got me some like researcher work at the BBC. So, yeah. Cool. Um, what's one unpopular opinion you have about the industry? Um, I think all my opinions are popular. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I'm, where I'm like a curmudgeon. I mean, I guess like I'm, I'm very pro ad supported shows, which I, I probably didn't used to be. I think uh, I'm, I'm not afraid for podcasting to make money. I think it's a good thing. Let's pay our podcasters as much as we can. Um, what's the most interesting thing you do that nobody else ever gets to see? I mean, the, my favorite bit of the job is getting to, if I've just had a ton of meetings all day, I can just go through to the studios and sit and watch some of the podcasts record. And it's, it's just heaven, like antidote to everything. It's just go and sit in the shadows and watch hilarious people being hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that's quite fun. Um, wh- who do you think is the most underrated person in the industry? Who's underrated? I mean, uh, like our, our co-founder, Jeff Ulrich, who, who kind of was the business side when um, Scott Orkerman was the, the kind of comedy host side. Like, I think everyone just thinks Wolf is Scott Orkerman's network. And Jeff Ulrich... Um, was the kind of business dude who was like let's try and sell ads and as i understand it went out and was just pitching ad agencies and just getting laughed out of the room again and again like describing what podcasts were and having them go no get out and then he'd just go back and do it again um and that's kind of incredible like i'm i'm no kind of salesman and the tenacity that he had to then build a a podcast company that got sold when we got acquired it was for like 50 million dollars like like good on him yeah definitely um, what do you think is the biggest problem in the podcast industry and how would you go about solving it? I mean, I think it's the biggest problem is still just bringing bringing listeners in, convincing the people that don't know what podcasts are or don't listen to podcasts that they should. I think the as, as cars start having easy access to podcasts, that's going to be a huge thing. Mm. I think, yeah, finding, finding an app that, that really works for people and um podcast discovery as well like i think i think podcast discovery is a real challenge Mm. that we don't have something that goes effectively like these 
like a discover weekly for podcasts or whatever mm, totally um what's one thing you wish you were better at uh probably like like time management <laughs> what's one thing you think you're great at uh encouraging people comedians creators uh sitting down figuring out what they want to do and and how we can support them and uh, if you could give one bit of advice to a couple of thousand comedians or performers who are listening to this who want to start a podcast what would it be uh start a podcast like no one's no one's qualified in this industry it's only been going for like 10 years um uh when it's when it's your brilliant genius idea uh take your time and and get it right before you put it out into the world but just start recording start making things Mm. well thank you very much for coming on thanks that was colin hearing about how much more money there is in podcasting when you get the downloads was really exciting and interesting for me uh, or for a podcast like mine I, I made 150 pound last year from ads so it's not big money at my level but the giants of the industry it's a full-time job and it's very exciting and inspiring to know that that is out there and why that's out there and who created those opportunities i think i think i'd say this to everyone who tells me they've got an idea for a podcast go and make an episode go and make a pilot go and make five pilots and then put out the best one of those five you don't have to put out everything you make it's very important to find your voice in this and to give it as much time and love and effort that you can but i always tell people try podcasting because it's such an exciting medium and such a really cool thing to do first of all uh, if you are struggling to start podcasting and you need some help feel free to email me i'm more than happy to help if i can there's also a blog on my website under the indie guide section for how to get your podcast up and running it's like seven easy steps i say easy i would say that i've done it but seven steps so you should be able to get it going given now you know how little i make from advertising i'm going to give a quick cheap plug here for my patreon if you would like to get an ad-free version of this show please become a patron from one dollar an episode that's 80p it's got to be worth 80p hasn't it uh if not you can become a one-off donator at paypal.com all the links are in the show notes i think my i'll tell you what i'm thinking about right now i think my biggest takeaway for this podcast is how easy it is to convince another person to listen to a podcast if they're already into podcasting i i personally would never download a podcast because it had a fancy ad on a tv program but i would if someone recommended it to me so i would say word of mouth is the best way to market anything and with that i will ask you this if you are really enjoying this show and if you've been listening for a while and you have an episode that you really like or that stood out or something stood out to you in an episode Please share an episode this week to your Facebook, your Twitter, your Instagram, any of the platforms that you think lots of people will appreciate it and take that recommendation seriously. I'd really like to build up the audience base. I'd also love to build up the patrons, but we've just covered that. So if you can, please do share an episode of the podcast in general. If you've liked this episode, you might also like the episode with Julia McKenzie about what BBC Radio 4 are looking for or the episode of Helen Zoltzman about the future of podcasting. The Ask the Industry podcast is a fruit that got in gravity's way production for the internet. All elements are created by me, comedian Simon Kane. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for subscribing. And thank you very much for rating and donating if you do. I'll see you all in about 14 days time. Bye.